0: Hey folks, Tom Merritt here. Not all of you have heard all of the episodes of Know A Little More, so we like to re-release older ones. This episode is about how video streams with special guest Andy Beach. It was originally released October 15th, 2020, and we have not added anything to it since the original episode. Enjoy! Enjoy! I clicked a video and it's not working. Is it my ISP? Why don't these video companies prepare for all of us wanting to watch this show? Are you confused? Don't be. Let's help you know a little more about video streaming. It's a different know a little more this time. I am joined by an expert, Andy Beach, author of Video Compression Handbook and video engineer and architect at Microsoft, is with me to help explain this. Andy, thank you so much. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. So Andy has been doing this for a long time, but he has kindly agreed to help explain it to people like us who haven't been doing it for a long time. And I think, Andy, what I want to start with is the idea of the file, the video file. I think a lot of us, I used to think this, think of a video file the way we think of an MP3 file, right? It's, It's the video, right? And audio does have similar things to video, but when it comes to video there's codecs and containers and different extensions help us navigate what all of this means and why it makes video a little more complicated. Sure. Yeah.
1: And, and we haven't helped in the industry because we, we often have the different parts of it have the same names. And so like there's an MP4 that is a video codec and a container and the other pieces. So we're not making it any easier on you to, to know the difference, but at its basics, the MP4 the, is really that container. It's the thing that we're going to send you the video and the audio and the metadata inside of. It's the the package that we're putting it all in. I used to describe it some as like if this were a painting, it's the canvas that we're putting all of it on. The codecs are a different part of it. They're the translation layer. It's the way that we tell a computer both to encode the content into a digital format. So take my actual camera feed and my audio in my video and turn it into a bunch of ones and zeros and then transmit it across the pipe. But then that same codec has to be able to unpack it. And so it's both the the way that we're gonna pack the video down to deliver it over a network. And then it's the way we're gonna unpack it on the other side.
0: So and, it's the so, so it's the translation. It's saying let me exactly. let me take this video and and translate it into a file that then somebody who knows oh it was done with that codec that software can then say I know how to unpack it and turn it back into video.
1: Yeah, and and codec is literally actually it's just an acronym. It, it literally just stands for compression decompression algorithm. So that that it is it is just a, a sort of the a, the longer version of that, but it it's the way that we're going to translate it, and the reason that we we have more than one is that there are lots of competing things when you when you have a codec. Sometimes you want to capture as high a quality version of something as possible. Well, that might take a lot more compute power. We might want something that captures everything but does it on a super low processor. Like our phone, or or a, a little GoPro camera, or something else. So we end up with lots of different codecs that are tuned to do different kinds of capture and different kinds of things. And that's why you end up with sort of a, a blend and a mix of these.
0: So um, that reminds me of JPEG and GIF and you know exactly. different file formats, right? Like it's 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 a di- you use a JPEG for a photo, you use a GIF for for a graphic. There's different codecs for different uses.
1: Yep, exactly. And a lot of those standards in the still image world also map to to this moving image world that we have. There are standards bodies out there like like the MPEG is actually a standards body. It's the the motion picture engineering group. And they have a set of standards that say for for an MPEG codec, we want you to follow these guidelines in order to fit into it. And there'll be all of these different uh, criteria that you hit. A lot of people try to adapt to those standards, and that way you know that if you're following a standard, in theory, every computer or every video screen should be able to render your content back in some way. But occasionally you'll have people who create proprietary codecs for specific reasons, like I want to do stuff in a super low latency way, and therefore I need to tune it for a specific thing, and that might be outside of a standard. Or perhaps I just want to Capture like uh, originally VR and uh, and augmented reality stuff. Those were sort of outside of the initial scope of, of it, and and they had their own proprietary codecs that allowed them to to work. And now those areas are also being incorporated by the larger standards.
0: And so I would I would expect then, uh, what, you know, pretending that I know nothing about this, uh, that a, a codec would be. The extension. If I see an MPEG, that means it's an MPEG codec. Does it work that way? It it does sometimes, <laughs> but most often
1: it doesn't. So, so we talked a lot about the codecs. I sort of skipped over that that container part. the The video and the audio is really only one piece of what we need to deliver to the end user in order for them to play back the video. So we needed a way to get all of that there. So we had to wrap all of it in something. And that wrapper is that container. And that's that extension. The thing that the MP4 or the MOV or the whatever, those also sometimes are standards. But most often, it's the software company or the hardware company has some sort of preferred method that they they use for as the standard on their systems. So... You know, for years and years and years in the Mi- in the Microsoft world, it was Windows Media Video. So you'll see WMV was the file extension that was very common. Well, WMV is actually really only a sort of mildly different under the hood from an MP4, and an and all of those are very similar to what an MOV does. The 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 QuickTime extension uh, was .MOV, and everybody's probably very familiar if you're in the in the Apple world with that, and that was super common in there and. It doesn't just have, all of those have more than just the audio and the video in it. They have information like the timing of the video so that you keep the audio and the video in sync. It's got things like closed captions. You can put other interactive things in them at times, like the ability to skip ahead and backwards to chapter tracks. So there's a lot of sort of ability that is inside of that container other than just transmitting audio and video but ironically by and large we just use it to transmit the audio and the video to the end user to decode and then play back in some way
0: so so the container contains extra things beyond just the translation of the video the codec is the translation of the video why didn't they just come up with one thing like like with jpeg and gif why why put different codecs in different or put the same codec in multiple containers sure well, because the all of these
1: things sort of uh evolve at different speeds. So you you want the codec to be able to adapt and change more quickly than the container because the container probably doesn't need to ultimately change or adapt that often. Like we're not going to be adding a lot of new features and functionalities there, but our our bandwidth and our computer processing capabilities have changed dramatically in just the last, I mean, it it's changed almost yearly at, at some rates, but if I look back to when I started all of this like twenty years ago, we were doing standard deaf work. We we've we've we were approximately eight to ten times the picture quality and probably forty or fifty times the ability uh bandwidth-wise to send files and, and uh video signal to to end users. So all of that is is growing so rapidly that you need a way. It, it's a more flexible ecosystem if the if the two pieces are separate components that get put together, because then you're not locking the the progression of one to the other.
0: And and so I, if I'm I'm guessing here though multiple different containers were created by multiple different companies and because those don't need to be updated that led to a situation where we continue to have these extensions that may all have the same codec but look different on our
1: machine yeah ex- exactly and and what what invariably happened is one one company would make one and then others would start adopting it, but they might have their own little tweak of it. You might have one special thing you want your platform to do. In order to make that work, you have to alter the the extension just slightly to denote that it's a different version of it. In other words, it only works in your ecosystem and, and not in the rest. That that in part was why you saw uh, like MOV for years and years and years, they only played back on Apple products. Uh, and it was really not until the... I would say even that when the iPhone became came around and got popular, that's when really it became obvious to the rest of the industry that they had to support MOV. Until that point, they had really only supported Apple video playback through MP4 or M4V extensions or, or other ways. So, So they didn't have that full container support. And then iPhone takes off, Apple becomes a much more popular platform, and all of a sudden everything can play back an MOV file as well.
0: So we have the containers and the codecs, and that helps us understand the videos we download or create or edit. But when we're streaming, the codec obviously is going to play a part in that as well, as as it streams from one place to your player, your television, your laptop, and gets decoded, decompressed. But during that process, we add another piece of complexity, which is buffering everybody is familiar even even today still it doesn't happen as often with the you know video buffering where you get the little spinny circle or the hourglass or whatever uh and you're waiting for that video to catch up why does that happen
1: yep yeah that's a that's a great one so it it's important to know so we we've, we've created the video and we have that that container and the codec we're we're sort of doing that now we want to share it with others outside of the laptop or the phone or whatever we've created it on. So we have to transmit it to them. And there's not a single way to transmit. There, there are multiple different ways. The, inter- the Internet is not one single transmission layer, even though it's often just HTTP. That's the most common. There's a lot of other ways of of delivering things. And they all have their own inherent Things that they're good for, uh, you know, there there are the ability to retry a connection multiple times, or the ability to saturate the bandwidth and send as much signal or as much information at one time. So when we transmit video, we're doing it in different ways depending on what we're doing. We're talking right now over Skype, and we're transmitting video to each other, even though this is only an audio podcast, and. We're doing that through RTMP, which is a low latency way of delivering video quickly to other people. And it's great for voice chat and back and forth conversation, but it's not necessarily the highest quality. And it's, it's going to look very different than like a Netflix video or something that I watch.
0: Because you're prioritizing immediacy. I want to be able to exactly. answer you as soon as you ask a question rather than make sure I see the prettiest version of either one of us.
1: Exactly right. And when I send a video that I've created with the intention of someone watching it, like I've, I've recorded my daughter doing something hilarious and I want to share it with others and I'm, I'm sending them a link to watch it. That's really over over more of our standard Internet HTTP protocol where I'm sending a link to it and the player on their side is doing something where it fetches as much of the, the packets as, as it can at once and it puts them in what, what in, in the engineering world or in the video world is called a leaky bucket. The buffer for, for video is called leaky bucket. And the idea is I want to fill up this container, the player on their side, with information, and I'm going to poke a hole in the bottom, and the hole in the bottom is it playing out on their screen. And the idea is that I want to keep filling the bucket at the top while they're trickling it out on the bottom, and hopefully I never completely drain the bucket out. Now, what happens sometimes in HTTP is sometimes packets get lost or a request gets re- redirected or maybe their network just completely drops out. And so they'll keep playing on for a little bit for probably 30 seconds or so. And then all of a sudden the bucket's empty and that's where you hit that buffer point. That's where the wheel starts to spin or some other something else will happen. Players will be different. Sometimes you'll see it keep playing the last little piece that it had. And that's why you'll get a little stuttery loop. Sometimes it just pauses the video or sometimes you get the spinning wheel.
0: So in, in essence, it's it's building each frame and trying to get it to us while building the next frame and the exactly. next frame. And I know that there's, there's ways to say, well, you don't have to build the whole frame if something's not changing. And that's little tricks right. you can do to keep it going. But I, I, I think that's something people forget is this isn't, like analog where it's, you know, playing off the tape to your, your television, it's, it's being built on the fly. Like every pixel has to be put together and then put up on your screen over and over again.
1: Right. It's, it's all about making sure that the video player on the end user side has enough information to build that picture and that, and that, and the audio. And that's why sometimes you'll even see versions of it where like it gets, uh, the the picture will get incredibly blocky or it, it'll stutter, but the audio will keep playing. And that's because the player maybe didn't have all the information, but it had like 90% of it. So it did the best that it could in order to present it. And then the hope is that the rest of the information with the other package shows up and then everything will sort of clear up and resolve.
0: And is the reason audio drops out less than video that because audio has just got less data? Uh, audio, right? It's such a
1: smaller amount of content that we even even when we're processing and encoding video, we almost think of the audio as a free thing that we get along with it uh, because it it is such a less taxing piece of the equation. Ultimately, what's fascinating and interesting is then then you'll you'll we we all realized I think when we were building these these solutions that. The audio dropping out is actually more noticeable than the mm-hmm. video. and so we've often tried to prioritize the video packets over, or sorry, the audio packets over the video because as long as the audio keeps playing, uh, that is a good enough through line that if the video disappears a little bit, our brains kind of forgive it.
0: And and all of those other things you see, like you mentioned, the blockiness or the stuttering or or just you know stepping down quality, those are ways to try to. Sounds like those are ways to just try to keep the video going even when the the stream of the data isn't exactly there. Uh, if old data shows up too late, it just gets tossed away, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. We're not gonna uh, if if something shows up after it was supposed to be presented. Uh, there. that is part of that information that's inside the, the video container. There's these timestamps. And so it knows pr- approximately where it's playing and it's comparing the stamps of the audio against the video. And if it sees an old timestamp, it throws that frame away because it knows that it, it missed its opportunity to use
0: it. And, and so the final complication is live, right? There, there are yep. lots of strategies with a Netflix video to say, well, we'll hold off playing it until we think we've a, we've got enough of it that even if there's a delay you won't notice cuz the buffer is big enough but with live you 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 have you have to deal with lag because you want to have that live stream appear relatively live right
1: yeah that becomes that that has sort of been and this is why sports is always kind of that last great big holdout for for online video we, we're sort of everybody's eager to give up uh, cable at times, but then they'll get to baseball or football or basketball. And all of a sudden they don't want to be 30 seconds behind everybody else watching it because you don't want to, the worst case scenario is I hear the house next to me
0: cheer. (laughs) And like 15 seconds later, I see the big score. How, how how much has to be done uh, or will we ever get to a point where the lag will be short enough that, Anybody streaming video of a live event, whether it's sports or Oscars or whatever, will all hear it and see it closely to the same amount of time.
1: I honestly, I'd say we're 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 there. We're on top of it in many ways. Uh, there are ways you could absolutely do it right now and make it faster than than uh, TV transmission delivery because even that is going to have some inherent latency in in it for for uh, for what they do. Uh, but the, the reality is that the the low latency ways we do it on the internet today have some proprietary pieces that aren't parts of the standards, which means that someone would have to go have a special player or mm-hmm. a special pipeline in order to do it. Or it's just incredibly expensive to do it. Whereas if it's part of the standards and the way that we do it at, at, at scale, then a wider audience can get it, and we can use more commodity hardware and software in order to achieve it. And so we're we're at a bit of that inflection point now. There there are ways for like uh, certain scenarios for uh, again for for live action interviews or, or other things that that we're 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 doing that now. I think the the quarantine times have taught us that we're where we can we can do a lot of this back and forth that way. But there are specialized scenarios around sports. And, and then when you get into like gambling in those areas where you absolutely want as little lag and as little latency as possible. and And all of that is starting to happen. I think as we over the next probably year and a half to two years, we're going to see a lot of standardization in that area and a lot of sort of definitions of what low latency means though though there will be specific like if you're between zero and 15 seconds it's this if it's between zero and 10 seconds it's this and if it's zero to two seconds it's it's this different slice of of latency and that standardization right there will help us adopt and scale it out to a wider audience
0: that sounds like you just need enough market pressure to build and we're getting there
1: absolutely i think it Yes, so um, much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the final final question I want to deal with is one that I think gets the most uh, frustration and therefore the most wide variety of explanations, both accurate and, and inaccurate, uh, which is I'm trying to watch that popular thing. You know, back in the day, it would have been Game of Thrones, uh, whatever the, the new thing is. And HBO goes down. Don't mean to pick out an HBO, but it's one of the most famous examples. Like, I, I want to watch the new episode of Game of Thrones, and it won't stream. Uh, Is it me? Is it my ISP? Or is it HBO? Why didn't they build more servers? uh, Or whatever they need to do? Like, why does that happen? Because it seems to happen with companies that are very competent, even though everybody starts calling them incompetent when that happens. You know, what, what is the challenge there? What makes that so hard?
1: So the, the biggest thing there is they have to be able to, to guess, they're speculating as to what is going to be popular. Because, When you're talking like if I want to share that funny video of my daughter, I'm probably only going to show it to I mean, really, maybe a dozen people, maybe a hundred people are going to going to watch it. I can put it on one server somewhere and send people a link and they'll probably be able to get to it and and play it back. Uh, And that's fine because a a web server can handle that many interactions at, at one time. When you talk about Game of Thrones, you're talking about literally millions of people simultaneously trying to interact with the same piece of content and the strategy and the way that you do that that isn't a single server sitting out there in the world you have to have what is called a cdn a, a content distribution network or a content delivery network and that's not a single server that's multiple servers and multiple pop points spread out and fanned out so that you're always interacting with sort of the closest servers to you as you do it. And then they have to replicate the content intelligently across all of those servers and manage it so that that single request, that single link to a piece of content, when I ask for it in Portland, I might be interacting with a different cached version of it than you in Los Angeles because we were were coming at it from different Different points. So, in order to do that intelligent caching and staging, I have to speculate and say, okay, I think this one is going to really take off. So, I need to I need to build in more redundancy to the system. Whereas, if I try to do that with everything, I would blow my costs out, and I would never be able to to do it. So, if there's something that that I think is going to be less uh, less popular. I'll still stage it, but I won't stage it in many as in in as many places and then, as the requests start coming in, the cdN has enough intelligence to start caching and replicating it at that point, but that takes time to to move files around and get things uh hosted and staged so that's that lag that you see that's the thing where like when a live uh like a Super Bowl takes off or in the earlier days, I will say i I think now they do a better job of but in the early days they would assume we're probably going to get, you know, 300,000 people watching this simultaneously. So we plan for 300,000 people. Well, then if a million people suddenly try and do it, I've tripled my demand and I have to very quickly replicate out new services. And in the 30 minutes that it takes for those services to go deploy, there's a lot of angry people on Twitter yelling about how crappy the experience was. And that's the thing they live in fear of. So that's why you see with a Game of Thrones launch or uh, other other big live events that are going on, they overstage and over uh, distribute uh, the caching and the robustness so that they hope to stay ahead of it. But that's a it's a sort of a guessing game and a balancing act of like how much do I commit versus uh, how much do I think people are really going to go watch and, and demand this.
0: So if it's something like umbrella academy uh let's say you know that Oh, okay it makes sense that they wouldn't want to overbuild they know it's going to be popular but maybe not the most popular so you don't want to waste money most people get that but what i hear a lot is with super bowl game of thrones they're like they should have known it was going to be popular why is it that they they don't overbuild enough in those situations? What happens, do you think, uh, that that causes them to say, well, we knew it was going to be popular, but it was even more popular than we thought?
1: Sure. It it really, because because we are still in ultimately the early days of online video delivery, it's a guessing game of, you know, how many people do I think are really going to go watch it? and And even then, because it is those early days, even if I'm doing everything right, even if I've guessed it down to the to exactly how many people are going to connect there could be a poor link or a bad something in a cache somewhere and all of a sudden maybe a quarter of the audience doesn't get the same experience that everybody else does and that and that is just different than tv where you know i sort of put a signal out and everybody kind of just picks up the same thing so it's it's a different technology and and we're learning more and we're Fixing things around it, but everybody's kind of watching us solve it as an industry in real time.
0: Yeah, and and it seems like we've gone from the I all everybody tried to watch Game of Thrones at the same time uh, to we were all watching the Super Bowl, and some people were fine, but the people on you know a specific service like a Hulu right. or an AT and T TV now something like that they're the ones who had the problem. If everybody's getting the video from the same source. What is it that causes one service to have that problem and another service not to?
1: Well, that and that becomes sort of the that was actually the earliest thing I think that kept people from from uh, distributing video this way is that you have to remember that cable companies are a closed ecosystem from the time they get the video all the way up until you watch it on your TV. They own the entire network the entire way that's the walled garden. And in fact, Netflix was called OTT solution over the top because you were going over the top of that walled garden and you were using public networks, unmanaged networks that they have nothing to do with to deliver the content. And that's the scariest thing to a cable provider. They, The idea that you would transmit signal over something where you don't control the prioritization of of the delivery scares them. And so the fact that we've managed to do it is actually kind of amazing because it then democratized the ability to deliver content from from multiple sources.
0: So, so in other words, instead of having that whole network, you're like, OK, we got the Super Bowl off the satellite. We now put it into our cables and we know exactly what's happening. You're maybe still getting the Super Bowl off the satellite, but now you're putting it on your CDNs and then crossing your fingers as it heads out onto the internet.
1: Right. It's the difference of, I mean, even in the, the, that closed environment, they have something that's analogous to a CDN that, that sort of proliferates it out. But again, they kind of manage and own that whole space. So they get to prioritize stuff. Whereas when something hits the public internet, where all of this stuff lives, you don't have that same control of prioritization. I mean, you could be watching the Super Bowl, but then if, Some massive, uh, you know, let's say an earthquake happened and everybody started tweeting about the earthquake, you might get competing priorities for uh, for information that's being transmitted. And that could cause a degradation that that nobody really has a lot of control over in in an unmanaged network.
0: And the, and and at that point, I, I point you back to the previous episode on latency, where where you're talking about you know transit providers and all the things that that can can get in the way because that's not only can introduce latency, it can interrupt a signal and cause it. to Yeah, out. yeah.
1: Ab- absolutely. There there's sort of two different mindsets here. Uh, there's there's sort of network engineering people, and then there's broadcast engineering. And when you introduce a, a cloud or a network engineer to all of these video concepts, they sort of say for the first time is this really how we do this? Like, is this how I watch TV?
0: And they're like, yeah, this is it. Once you learn more about any particular topic in technology, I've always found that you start to have a greater appreciation that it works at all. Yeah. (laughs) Andy, thank you so much uh, for for being with us and and helping us uh, understand this more. If people want to find your books or anything more about what you've got going on, where should they go? Uh, you can always find me on
1: Twitter. I'm I'm just at Andy Beach on there. Uh, it's uh, sometimes video topics, sometimes pictures of cocktails, sometimes my daughter being funny, sometimes pictures of my dog Mushu. And you can find my book on Amazon, uh, Powell's, a variety of places. It's called Video Compression Handbook, and it breaks down a lot of these basic concepts and then shows practically how to use consumer desktop and basic cloud infrastructure to go uh, test it out.
0: That's Video Compression Handbook? Yep. Go check it out, folks. And I hope this helps you understand what's happening when your video doesn't work or even when it does. In other words, I hope now you know a little more about video streaming.